Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Deadwire ABS podcast. I'm Deanna, and I have my colleague Al Yoon with me here today. How are you, Al? Hi, I'm doing well, Deanna. So this is our second podcast, Al. We first one we discussed fix and flip loans. That's right. Yeah. This time around, we'll be touching on a little bit of a different topic. We'll be talking about blockchain. I feel like it's been kind of there's been a lot of buzz around that in the structured finance space, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, anytime I go to a conference, I mean, there's always, uh, I mean, the blockchain is a, a growing buzzword there. It's something that, uh, you know, I covered the mortgage crisis 10 years ago, and uh, it's something that, uh, you know, a lot of people say that, well, if we had this in place, that would uh, probably have solved a lot of problems. Not every problem, but, but some. Right. And we actually invited uh, two experts to help us uh, dive in into this topic. Charlie and uh, Mar- Mariana are here today with us. I'll just let them introduce uh, themselves first before we go on. Uh, Mariana, would you uh, please start off? Hi, hi everybody. Uh, my name is Mariana Gomez de la Villa. I'm the program manager um, for uh, distributed ledger technologies at ING. And what it actually means is that um, every initiative uh, that, that we run as ING under distributed ledger technologies or leveraging this technology for uh, any solution then is uh, managed under this program globally. Thank you so much. Charles? Hi, thanks very much for having us. So I'm Charlie Moore, CEO of Global Debt Registry, a financial technology company focused on improving the efficiency of the ABS market, leveraging technology and, and, and specifically uh, um, blockchain technology to improve the, the asset integrity and the efficiency in which uh, loans can be funded and, and, and transacted. Thank you. So to kick this off, I thought we'll start uh, with both of you highlighting one project on one use case that you are currently working on and something that basically gets you excited in the blockchain space. Charlie, maybe you'll start with this one. Sure. So we're taking a a pretty long-term position here that uh, there's a lot of opportunity associated with with the blockchain, but it's it's not going to happen, all happen overnight. So within the ABS market, there's, we see four or five use cases uh, around how the blockchain can can deliver value and where we've chosen to start is around collateral management and ensuring that there is an immutable single record of loans pledged to any given uh, given senior lender so we've been working with many of the the large investment banks uh, who provide capital and and subsequent underwriting activity uh, for the ABS market in recording that uh, that collateral um, and establishing effectively a, a single immutable record for uh, individual loans that subsequently flow to securitization and then from that we can add in additional loan characteristics to ultimately represent present the full digital asset in, 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 its, in its entirety, but recognizing that the digital asset is made up of five or six different loan characteristics, the, the ownership, the collateral uh, pledging activity, the verification, the servicing, payment, uh, um, etc. So uh, w- rather than trying to take on all of those uh, characteristics in, in one go, we've broken it out into uh, three or four distinct steps to get the critical mass and get the, get the incentives right for the different participants to uh, um, participate. How many um, lenders do you have on board at, at the moment? The good thing about the ABS market is from a, a senior lender perspective, it's a very concentrated market. So there's nine or ten investment banks who who provide most of the upfront up uh, um, credit facilities and, and conduct uh, most of the underwriting activity. So we're engaged with the majority of those and a number of those are already registering their, their collateral. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
the evolution of this in terms of uh, um, working with uh, others in the ecosystem, particularly originators, there's obviously hundreds if not thousands of originators out there and hence we chose to start on the collateral activity where there's there's only really nine or ten key, key players. So, uh, um, you know, it's important to sort of uh, get the critical mass and to really um, work through uh, um, the, the, both the technology and the right commercial models for originators to start to participate. So the next project that we're starting to work on is around um, asset verification, which uh, um, the model really being to um, have the, the, the loan verification done once and immutably recorded uh, against the other asset characteristics on the blockchain, such that that verification doesn't need to be done two, three, four times which saves the originator money, time and money. Um, so that's the sort of the, the, the hook for the, the originators to start participating uh, next year, um, you know, around that, uh, th that particular use case. All right, uh, and uh, we'll definitely talk about some of those uh, things that you mentioned further on. But uh, first, Mariana, could you also give us uh, an idea about a project uh, that you're currently working on in the blockchain space? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have started from a more kind of broad approach in that sense. Um, we have obviously leveraged some learnings that we had in, in different spaces, for example, and translated those into actually uh, uh, strength uh, for further projects. And uh, one of the ones that I've been most uh, busy uh, in the last month is actually the deployment, for example, of a collateral lending solution. Uh, we are in partnership with a, a startup called HQLAX. It stands for High Quality Liquid Asset Exchange. And ING is uh, second in the development of this uh, distributed ledger um, um, uh, solution, where um, obviously it uh, is for the repo market, uh, where what we actually uh, um, achieved uh, in the beginning of this year, so in the beginning of 2018, was um, the first actually live transaction in terms of a, a swap, a delivery versus a delivery, and it was uh, one of the first transactions that was legally enforceable. Um, the way we achieved that actually was a learning from a previous project we had. We, uh, in one of the first pilots actually that we deployed, you know, we tried to mirror the process on, on paper because at that stage, you know, the, the government and regulators were not uh, sure whether they were going to comply or whether, we were, whether sorry, we were going to comply uh, with legally enforceable transactions, you know, and, and, and the terms um, uh, that needed to be there. So we learned from that and uh, throughout the course of 2017, we got involved as well with, um, you know, the further value chain. And um, yeah, as, as, as Charlie also mentioned, um, you know, the, the repo market is a really a small one. So then you can create more impact, you know, because we have uh, less players. And that was a way, for example, on us getting involved as well with uh, some custodians, we were the, which were the ones that actually um, uh, legally, you know, proved uh, that this transaction was, was bounded, right? So um, that, was, that was a huge uh, um, uh, step forward, I think, for, for the ecosystem as a whole. It was a, a swap actually that was of uh, 25 million together with uh, Credit Suisse, and uh, since then we have been obviously adding some more functionality to the to the platform, and we have been as well uh, trying to move towards production, and uh, you know uh, setting up this infrastructure that is needed, uh, passing all the approval processes for uh, such regulated financial institutions as ourselves. Is, is a huge uh, journey that you have to undergo if you really have to uh, or want to take advantage of this technology 
uh, within your core. Uh, so uh, we attribute uh, most of the years, uh, uh, th this year actually, to these learnings. And uh, yeah, we hope to, uh, to keep moving forward towards that um, uh, front. Mariana actually touched on one of the use cases that uh, we were going to discuss uh, also further on. So I would like to expand on this a little bit. This was, um, you know, 25 million euros of, um, you know, basket of securities that you and Credit Suisse, uh, ING and Credit Suisse swapped using a quarter-based collateral lending application. And you just mentioned that, you know, you're trying to move into production with this and, um, you know, have more transactions like this. I'm wondering how long do you, does it did it take to actually have this transaction live and how long do you think it will take to move into production? Well, uh, we had the transaction live, as I mentioned, somewhere in, uh, in, in January, actually. Okay. Uh, but we did have to undergo a lot of, a lot of approvals. Uh, for example, we also um, uh, keep close contact with regulators. And that's really important because if we really want to uh, have these uh, legally enforceable transactions, they need to uh, have all the requirements that regulators would like to have in order for them to actually approve them, right? Um, and uh, if we would like to move that way as well, uh, we need to increase, for example, the knowledge and to keep educating the ecosystem as a whole. And for that, you, you need to bring along together with you, you know, for example, clients, uh, potential partners, and any other part of that ecosystem uh, so you can leverage upon each other's learnings and benefits, right? This only doesn't work for you. It has to work for everybody as an ecosystem. Uh, and that has been indeed a long, a long journey, but, uh, but I think once you make that a step, you make it uh, for everybody. And then it is, you know, on, 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 on that uh, proof uh, where, where you actually gain uh, the traction and where you actually gain the adoption. Uh, if you were trying to do this as a silo, then it wouldn't work, you know? And then uh, uh, apart from, from obviously trying to deploy this, this infrastructure, uh, you have to also look into, for example, the changes that you will have to make in, in business models, right? How, for example, these new products need to be created, right, to cope with those requirements that you heard from, from your clients, from your regulators, and, and how are you going to create these new products moving forward, right? Uh, Mariana, for example, Mariana. maybe... Mariana, just, uh, just to, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, you know, what regulators are you talking about? Can you be more precise about that? Like who's, who's involved? Uh, for example, we are in conversations, obviously, with our own regulators in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the Deutsche Central Bank, right? We need to bring them up to date with whatever effort we are doing. I know we're also in conversations with um, um, uh, Bank of uh, England. Uh, we also presented these uh, with, uh, together with, at, at the Fed. Um, you know, there are specific groups where we bring these kind of updates as an industry, uh, for example, at the European level, so with the European Commission or with the EU regulators uh, uh, mainly. Okay, and Charles, from where you sit uh, on the regulation side, I mean, who in the, in the U.S. do you think is, uh, the, you know, the most important regulator to be, you know, sort of get the ball rolling, so to speak? I mean, it's predominantly the SEC. I mean, obviously there's, there's many others, but... Uh, um, yeah, I think for our ABS market, it really is, is is the SEC, and I think I think everybody has has grown in their understanding and awareness of of the technology, and I think uh, now the regulators, along with the other parties, are in a better position to differentiate the the noise between the cryptocurrencies and a lot of the ICO nonsense uh, that, uh, um, that that's that's generated a lot of noise in the market. That I think. 
most regulators are now able to sort of put that to one side and, and, and recognize the underlying technology can deliver a lot of value to a market in terms of the integrity of the market. And you referenced some of the 2008 uh, um, you know, challenges mm-hmm. um, in, in that context. Having a an immutable system of, of record um, where where information can't be misrepresented, uh, um, yeah, I think that, that there's definitely acknowledgement of the the value that the underlying technology can play by by the regulators. So I think everybody has has moved forward on that uh, on that on that journey. But we've we've certainly all still got a long way to go, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know I think maintaining that that dialogue is, as Mariana said, it's very very important. Uh, because of uh, um, you know everybody wants to do this in a in a compliant manner um, and everybody everybody is learning on that journey and uh, um, yeah so exactly what it ends up looking like five ten years down down the road what does an ABS okay. deal look like um, you know we, we need we need the regulators in those conversations okay thank you well you mentioned uh, kind of the value that even the regulators you know are seeing the value of deploying this technology. Um, Talking about this this use case of uh, swapping securities on blockchain, what do you think is the main, main benefit of having this? Is there like cost savings associated with this? Is there speed um, you know associated with it? And I actually would love to hear both of you kind of uh, address this. You know, the number one benefit from this use case that you think. Sure, I'll I'll go first. So in in the ABS market, uh, transactions of loans are incredibly slow and inefficient mm-hmm. um, be it the, the the initial sort of upfront um, warehouse transaction or the actual securitization transaction those those are measured in in weeks not in seconds um, involving a, an army of service providers uh, to support those those transactions mm-hmm. so um, most most of those roles and activities, Will be needed in this future state, but how how the actual activity is conducted can be very heavily automated uh, if there is that certainty of the underlying asset. So I, we do anticipate that there still is a requirement for legal custody, verification services, uh, trust services, uh, um, rating agencies, etc. But as I say, how how they perform their tasks, um, there's a, there's an opportunity to make that a a lot more efficient and, and a lot faster, mm-hmm. um, and which should result in, uh, in 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 cheaper and better better price deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, one of the one of the challenges for you know, how this rolls out is how that how the value is shared across the ecosystem, and uh, um, you know who controls the value and who who controls the blockchain nodes and the the ability to author smart contracts. And uh, um, those are the sorts of issues that uh, we're spending a lot of time with the the participants and trying to you know work work through. Um, and develop a, a model that that encourages you know all participation across the ecosystem rather than trying to completely remove any individual participants. Yeah, makes sense. Mariana, did you want to add anything to this? Yeah, for us, uh, it's uh, obviously this part of incremental innovation, uh, as, as Charlie mentions, is quite important, right? Uh, you, we use well, actually, you can leverage it. Uh, on, on the automation of, of, for example, those protocols and, and actually achieve, you know, straight through processing, uh, which has been, you know, in the back of our minds uh, uh, for cost reduction indeed uh, for a really long time, right? Uh, then you can also leverage this technology to um, better improve or further strengthen your market infrastructure that also needs changing. 
for example, the payments infrastructure that we currently have is quite ancient, you know, and some of the processes that we currently have as well uh, need already a, a refresh or, or um, you know, a, a, a little bit of more, um, yeah, a change given the newly data available that we have, right? So uh, with all these emerging technologies, not only blockchain, but also, uh, for example, what we have on machine learning, uh, advanced analytics, quantum, et cetera, you're going to start seeing, you know, how these uh, correlations are going to start to, uh, to actually um, give way to those new business models. And on that side as well, for example, and to my second point, is, you know, that uh, fractional ownership of a specific asset, uh, what, uh, you know, is, is quite attractive to us because uh, the way we currently see things and the way we currently are used to, uh, to trading things is totally different from, you know, having this new technology that actually uh, allow you to have that functional ownership. And then maybe later on, you know, you can resell it and you can position yourself as well as market maker for specific items or specific uh, assets that uh, might not have even been created at this stage. You know, so um, what happened then on, on the leap innovation uh, uh, will be further seen, but at this stage, uh, uh, that incremental innovation is, is already uh, quite a good uh, benefit for ING. I saw Charles nodding actively when we were talking about fractional uh, ownership. Absolutely. So I, I expect there are all sorts of new financial ABS-related products that will evolve, that you know, bankers will, will innovate, and, and using fractionalization will dice and slice loans and package them up in, in, in ways that wasn't previously feasible. It was just too cost prohibitive to even to, to, to consider. So, uh, Can you give us um, a such as, I mean, be a little bit more precise about the kinds of... Uh, yeah. Well, so, I mean, the historic model has been very much pooling assets together mm -hmm. to create that benefit of scale, sure. given the cost of this sort of risk layer that needed to be over overlaid on the on the security uh, um, you know whereas if there is the trust and integrity of the of all of the individual loans then the ability to actually um, look at a pool of loans or individual loans differently um, you know that that that's possible in a way that's never been feasible before so I, I, I expect you know, structured credit professionals uh, to take advantage of that when they have, have, mm -hmm. have the opportunity, which is not there yet today. We're, talk, we're talking about assets in general. Is there any kind of type of asset that is lends itself to this technology more so than any other that we talk about in the ABS space? Uh, I mean, for instance, I mean, you know, you're talking about collateral being registered with the Global Debt Registry, and, uh, you know, what collateral are you talking about? Sure. So our focus is on... Uh, all ABS sectors up to uh, um, mortgages at this point, so unsecured consumer, auto, student equipment, and and, and so on. Um, with it within that, the areas that are that are going to move the fastest, I think, will be the uh, the, the the originators uh, who are already um, involved in digital lending, but from the point of view of the the, the borrower experience. Digital, are, like real estate mortgage lending, for instance. More, and more activity on the sort of unsecured consumer, uh, um, oh, yeah. the, the online lending uh, type activity, so where they're already creating a, a PDF to represent the loan documents. 
Um, however, the, to name these originators who are, who so, are in so I mean at the moment the the assets that uh, that we have registered as collateral are from uh, um, warehouse facilities uh, towards uh, unsecured consumer lenders like Prosper and Avant okay. uh, Lending Club and, uh, and 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 so on and I think those uh, that area where they've already digitized the the borrower experience and created a, a, a PDF. A single PDF to represent the uh, the underlying asset. Um, they're at a head start in terms of moving that asset onto the blockchain so that it is native and solely resides on the uh, on on the blockchain. Um, so I, I think those types of innovators in origination will be the innovators in blockchain origination of of, of assets. But I think we'll also see a sort of hybrid period over the next ten years or so where the paper-based lenders, so you know, including the mortgage space, um, where you've got asset-backed tokens, so the asset being the paper documents, which are securely held with some custodian, never to move, but there is a token created associated with that loan, um, that so effectively asset-backed token, and that that token can then be transacted uh, in the sort of efficient way that we've, we've been I've discussing. Heard the concept is broadly embraced uh, but uh, when you actually speak with these mortgage lenders I mean I mean how does it seem like they're moving forward with something or is it uh, you know at what stage are we between uh, lip service and uh, an actual execution this is a long-term game I think uh, I think a lot of people overestimate how quickly things will happen and but underestimate the overall impact so I, I think this is going to be bigger than most people uh, um, recognize but it is going to take longer than most people recognize and you know we're certainly planning this in, in a very very phased manner over a three four five year period mm-hmm. in terms of, of, of our business recognizing that you know it will take uh, many of these parties long long time to um, evolve um, and trying to do it in with as minimal disruption to an existing technology as, as, as possible. Um, but arguably the bigger challenge w- with any innovation is actually sort of the evolution of, of business models and commercial models is, is often more difficult than the actual uh, um, the, the, the technology adoption. So uh, um, yes, this is we're, we're still at, at, at early stages, but the market's moved on. Um, certainly awareness and understanding has moved moved on significantly okay, in the last six to nine months. But consumer seems, seems to be certainly the leader in the space so far. I, yes. Um, and we are seeing, we're seeing you know, originators start to issue loans onto the, onto the blockchain and, and asset-backed tokens, per the example that I, I referenced. Um, Deanna, I'm sorry, I think I took up, off, off our schedule a little bit here, but uh, you wanted to speak a little bit more about the actual use cases here. It's totally so. fine. Conversation goes where it goes. Um, actually, I thought maybe we'll talk about tokenization right now because uh, since Mariana touched on kind of fractional ownership of assets, I feel like tokenization is uh, one of the ways that you know some of the innovators in the space, some of the startups in the space are trying to kind of address this. Mariana, I wanted to actually get your opinion on this too. Um, have you seen any of any kind of uh, significant uh, use cases or tests uh, done around tokenization of debt and equity? Yes, uh, we obviously are um, yeah, uh, quite uh, uh, vigilant on the market and uh, we scan often uh, different markets uh, for this purpose, right? It may have or may not have a DLT element upon that. 
Um, but yeah, we, we are uh, actually quite vigilant, obviously, on, on uh, securitization, origination to distribution, uh, real estate, uh, and, and, and some of these uh, markets, indeed, that, that use a token, you know, as a mean of, uh, of exchange um, or as a mean of tracking that debt and, and reporting that debt and, and the equity. And I guess I'll repeat Al's question on kind of which assets uh, have been kind of tokenized. In, in here versus uh, what Charles was talking about uh, on consumer debt side, I feel like in tokenization space we saw some real estate uh, players actually come in and tokenize the equity side of things. Um, uh, you know, how do you see this play, play out, I guess, in, in the short term, in the near term? So we are uh, actually... Um well, we have a whole lab that is actually, uh, uh, yeah, undergoing that specific space, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm able to disclose exactly what uh, are they working on. I'm sorry. Uh, no worries. Um, Charles, what are you seeing in terms of kind of the tokenization aspect of things? So, you know, there's, there's two paths. There's this fully native blockchain-based loan, and then there's the asset-backed tokenization, and we're, mm -hmm. we're certainly starting to see a dozen or so uh, um, originators, startup originators uh, um, in the U.S. creating asset-backed tokens associated with ind individual loans. We're, we're probably seeing more activity in in Asia, uh, you know, China. Quite a lot of activity in in that sort of uh, uh, area. I think part of the the challenge and and the opportunity, but uh, um, the, the the challenge is ensuring that everybody doesn't run off and do it in a completely different way. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the structure of the market in the US and, and generally globally, um, there are hundreds if not thousands of, of original creditors out, out, out there. And our, what we're trying to ensure is that we don't end up with hundreds if not thousands of different approaches towards the tokenization of, of loans. So a lot of our focus is in establishing what we call a structured credit industry protocol, a, a, a common way for recording loans on, on the blockchain, mm -hmm. um, which is around data standards, it's around proce process standards, it will increasingly be around interoperability and, and, and so on, um, to ensure that a lot of the, the value can be can be realized. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, if, if everybody goes off down a different path, then there, there isn't nearly as much efficiency downstream across the ecosystem if every if every deal is, is going to be different because of uh, um, they're all using a, a different approach to, do, to doing this. So uh, I think the blockchain um, is creating new incentives to establish standards that haven't been in place in, in the ABS market, some mm -hmm. in the MBS, MBS mortgage space, but not, not a vast amount. And I think there's sort of a new set of incentives for ensuring that those are in place such that uh, um, yeah, the, 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 the value can be realized. For sure. I feel like that conversation of having kind of uh, having all the originators and issuers be on the same page in the ABS market is prevalent even now and blockchain kind of has this promise of addressing that. Right, right. It has, it has a promise of, of addressing that and uh, you know it but not just blockchain. Let's can we talk about uh, the use of smart contracts, for instance? I mean, is that something that sort of you know you can see happening, or more you know the greater use of smart contracts? Uh, you know, in the near term, I mean, you're talking about blockchain being sort of a work in progress. Um, is this sort of a smart contract? Is that sort of a step towards the end? 
smart contracts is how a lot of the value will be realized. I think uh, establishing, getting the assets onto the blockchain in the first place to then allow, allow the smart contracts to be written on mm-hmm. top of that, that's that's the sort of the, the stepping stone uh, um, approach. Um, but I think in terms of uh, um, critical areas, use cases like how payments and, and money is allocated and the, the trust services, you know, that is all about smart contracts, but you've got to have the underlying data on the blockchain in order to facilitate that. Um, so I think there's there's really powerful, valuable use cases that, that smart contracts will facilitate, and we'll see multiple POCs, proof of concepts, and uh, subsequent pilots and production. You know, over the over the next few years around each of those. But it starts. Our our belief is it starts with getting the underlying asset onto the blockchain okay. from which you. Can I was going to ask you if there was any sort of representative example of a smart contract uh, in in use, but perhaps that's uh, it's too soon to really it, get into it, that. It is. I mean, I think there have been a few POCs sort of at, at the point of uh, securitization in terms of some of the the document production and reporting, but not really with the underlying assets, which is ultimately what will unlock most of the value. Okay. Mariana, what's uh, your take kind of on the smart contract space and the ABS? Uh, you know, have you have you seen uh, any POCs? Charles says there have been a few. Um, just wanted to see your perspective, uh, given you know that you have this spread globally, so you kind of have this um, transparency into many players. Yeah, but to be honest, like from from our standing point, you know, smart contracts have existed for a really long time, so it's not nothing, you know, actually uh, new. It's just automation of business logic in that sense. So, so indeed, we're more interested and inclined towards, uh, yeah, the tokenization actually of of, of the assets, right? Um, and and for that, for example, there are specific challenges that that we are working really hard on addressing as a, as an ecosystem. Um, I don't know if, for example, you were aware about uh, us releasing an open source project uh, on on zero knowledges. Uh, we actually uh, had a second iteration. Uh, the first iteration was in 2017 uh, to enhance uh, privacy on, on distributed ledger technologies because when you are issuing you know, these assets, uh, there might be parts where you don't want to disclose uh, specific items to the rest of the ecosystem, right? And um, for that, we use uh, zero knowledges. Uh, on the first iteration was on range proofs. So how could you hide, for example, one number within a range of numbers? And on this second iteration that we just released uh, uh, in October was uh, on set memberships, which is, you know, how do you uh, hide one uh, um, item within a set, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is quite powerful, uh, obviously, on, 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 on distributed ledgers, uh, more because, indeed, when you are tokenizing an asset and you want to make that asset, uh, uh, you know, transferring uh, from one uh, decentralized application to another one, then you want to make sure that you truncate information that should not be passed on, you know, as, as, as part of the history of that specific asset, uh, and, and allowing for the rest of the of the parties to actually validate that the asset is, is truthful and that is uh, uh, worth what it says, right? So um, uh, that has been, uh, for example, a, a major contribu- contribution that ING has, has onto the ecosystem, uh, and, and now we are also working on interoperability, as Charlie mentioned, is one of the major uh, questions that we have to address uh, moving forward as an ecosystem, because um, if you don't do it right, you may actually lose specific properties that you don't want to, right? Mm-hmm. And that specific, uh, um, you know, transferring again of, of, of assets from one ledger to another one or from one uh, application to another one 
uh, uh, will give way or, or will actually uh, be the breaking point as well for some of the applications. It's uh, actually a great, great segue to the last topic we wanted to discuss, kind of the major concerns around um, some, of, some of the um, applications of blockchain. And Mariana, you just uh, talked about kind of um, trying to address uh, issues around uh, privacy, around you know not having to disclose every single data point on blockchain and kind of addressing that. What, what would be kind of another uh, major uh, concern that you're seeing from some of the big players in the sector? The interoperability, definitely. You know, there are like different types of interoperability. Uh, as I mentioned, you have, for example, interoperability in between two ledgers, two distributed ledgers. You have interoperability in between different uh, applications or different decentralized applications um, and, and in between ledgers and legacy systems. So how do you achieve that? You know, you have to look into different properties. For example, you have to have make sure actually that the third party uh, is not dependent upon someone else. For example, that you have a proper reach, that uh, uh, you know you have a scalability on that uh, uh, interoperability, that you can actually exchange or, or uh, uh, you know move from ledger to ledger in a, in a timely manner. You know, for example, that whenever you have updates in a specific ledger, it doesn't affect uh, an asset in another ledger. Uh, for example, you have to look at the costs uh, uh, functions there as well. Uh, you have to look at the semantics of that interoperability of that specific asset. You know which properties you want to uh, transfer from one ledger to the other one and which properties uh, yeah, are non-important. Uh, you have to look at the syntactic as well of, 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 of those assets um, and to the regulator uh, as well, right? Regulation uh, in between different, for example, zones. Uh, how would you transfer, for example, an asset that is coming from the U.S. into the into Europe and that it still has uh, all the elements that are required uh, to properly uh, navigate uh, um, uh, this landscape? I would agree with everything Marianne has just said. I think um, there are there's clearly technical challenges around interoperability and, and scalability and performance, uh, um, and still some some security uh, um, questions, but. I'm very confident, given the, the number of very smart people and the, the level of resources being thrown at those issues, um, there seems to be you know, developments on a, on a weekly uh, um, basis occurring. So you know, I'm, I'm very confident that the industry will work through those, the, those, those technical challenges. So you know, we're, we tend to focus more on the business chan chan challenges. We've partnered with IBM and are building on IBM Hyperledger, and uh, they've, they've got a lot of people working on many of those underlying uh, technical challenges that enables us to really think about you know what are the, the the business challenges to to adoption and the the specifics of our use case in the ABS world and a lot of the the data standard issues and uh, um, you know how, how the industry organizes itself to to, to embrace this uh, this this technology so you know I think we're certainly hearing less about those technical challenges now and fewer objections and questions about them now than we were 12 months ago and I'm, I'm confident 12 months down the road you, you will hear less, less still um, and I think a lot of the, the the challenges for adoption will be more around the organizations and the specific use cases and some of the the, 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 the standards and process standards data standards etc Charles, you paint a picture of an industry basically working, to, it, you know, everybody working together towards this uh, a blockchain solution. But uh, I just wonder, I mean, what, how much of concern is it that, uh, you know, very smart people out there thinking that their solution is better than the others? And, you know, you have different paths going. And then 10 years, five, 10 years from now, you have blockchain solutions that perhaps can't, you know, talk to one another. 
I think there's a lot of potential for that. I think uh, um, there's a lot of there are original creditors uh, um, who are tokenizing loans who are talking about disrupting the you know the entire ecosystem and and you know their way being the best way and um, if you end up with dozens or hundreds of, of those that that will be that will be a mess um, you know we've we've very much advocated that this this should be much more of an industry initiative um, you know so we're taking a very sort of open inclusive approach and, and sort of inviting everybody not just in terms of originators and uh, um, the underwriters but across the whole ecosystem uh, trustees custodians uh, lawyers, rating agencies—you know—we invite everybody to 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 the table to provide input because I I genuinely think for the for the industry to realise most value um, that that there remains roles for those those parties, um, but I think how they perform their their duties will evolve will have to evolve um, and has the opportunity for greater automation once you have that digital asset on which to to write smart contracts against and and and, and do new clever things so uh, um, how, how we work together is 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 a critical issue you know not just in the ABS space but I think most um, initiatives blockchain initiatives across the financial services and capital markets you know the successful ones have been where industry participants have organized themselves around working groups and common models etc to, to to realize that um, it is blockchain is something of a team sport it's it's very difficult to realize that the value within individual what, what enterprises group seems to be taking the lead with that so within the ABS space, you know, I think we're we're furthest along and and working with the the, the trade association, uh, SFIG and 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 others, um, in sort of related asset classes, uh, um, syndicated lending. You know, we've already seen um, a, a number of consortium form and uh, um, trade associations taking a pretty active role in terms of how that should uh, that that should occur. You know, we've been we've been running multiple working groups and comment periods around some of these the standards issues that we're, we're, we're talking about and sort of uh, ha- how we should face the, uh, the, 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 the roadmap. And, you know, we're just going to need to do more and more of that. I think this is a good place to uh, finish up our discussion for today. just wanted to say thank you so much to our guests, uh, to Mariana for calling in from all the way from Amsterdam and for to Charlie for coming in today. And thank you both so much. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.